All right, uh, Genesis 5 and 6. Well, there's no way we're going to get through two chapters. I hope we get through one, and I hope we get to introduce the first part of 6. Um, I don't want to spend a, a lot of time on chapter 5. I've talked about this a few times in the past, um, and, 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 but I'll, I'll highlight chapter 5 and the, the big parts of it. Uh, and the, I think what is really the thrust of it, uh, and, and then I want to get into chapter 6 and deal with the first, I don't know, 9 or 10 verses of chapter 6 and save the rest of chapter 6 for next week. Um, but again, just as a recap, Genesis is that uh, the book of origins, chapter 1, the origin of everything, uh, chapter 2, a micro look at the origin of man and and marriage and and then we see the origin of sin and the results of sin um and then what we will see as it goes through this in chapters four and five we're going to see the 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 fruit of sin chapter six we're going to see how god deals with it um and eventually we'll see the origin of god's people and the origin of the church and the origin of all these things uh, but Genesis is truly that that, that book of beginnings, um, and uh, and in, in chapter five, we're going to see the um, we're going to be drawn to the first of the prophecies of the second coming of Christ uh, in chapter five in two different ways. Um, but let me just start with the first few verses. Let me read in chapter five, verse one. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and named him Seth. Um, After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years and then he died. Um, let me start with that uh, verse 1, 2, and 3. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And he created them, male and female, and blessed them. So both male and female were made in the likeness of God. But notice verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in whose likeness? In his own likeness. In his own image. Named Seth. So th- this, is, this is the struggle in every Christ follower. We were made in the image of God. We're, we're the image bearers of God. Right? He made male and female in his image. Have you ever had that struggle within you between God and your flesh? The desires of, 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 of righteousness and the desires of carnality. Here's the reason. The reason is because we're made in the image of God. And if we have a relationship with the Father through the Son, his, not only His image, but His Spirit lives within us. But, but notice what happened after, that's all pre-fall. After the fall, humanity is made in whose image? The image of Adam. And so we have these two images at war within us. The image of God and the image of Adam. The image of the divine and the image of carnality. 
And this is the struggle in every person. And this is the daily work where we choose to respond according to the image of God or we choose to respond to the image of our flesh. That's the struggle. And so when, when, we, when, we, when we're cognizant enough to realize that now I'm in the struggle, we must always choose to feed, do those things that feed the image of God and that starve the image of man. This is, the, this is the purpose of obedience. It's not so that we're right with God, but obedience are those acts that cause us to feed the image of God. Disobedience feeds the image of man, the image of Adam. The whole point of spiritual disciplines, reading, prayer, meditation, Bible memorization, all that stuff, worship, giving, that all feeds the image of God. The reason why we neglect the word, why we neglect prayer, why we neglect giving is because we're feeding the image of Adam. Does that make sense? And so, so, so my encouragement to us is to reframe the struggle. It's not a struggle between me being good and me being bad. It's not a struggle between me being obedient or disobedient. It's the struggle and which image I'm feeding. And so now my obedience and my devotion and my faithfulness is not because I have to and not because God is happy when I do, but it's so that I feed the image of God in me. And so when I'm, when I'm faced with the carnality, it's not that I'm going to not choose that for any other reason other than that I don't want to feed that image in me. Does that make sense? So it's, it's just sometimes helpful to reframe it like that, that. Like that's the fight and that's the war that's going on in every one of us. The fight between the image of God and the image of man. Pre-fall, man was made in the image of God. Post-fall, man was created in the image of Adam. And that struggle to respond carnally is always the struggle that that's feeding the image of Adam. And so when God says, be perfect as I am perfect, be holy because I'm holy, you know, walk in a ways of being fleed uh, uh, lust and, and pursue righteousness. That's all there, not so that we'll be good and not so that we'll be right with God and he'll be pleased with us, but because when we obey that, when we do that, it feeds the image of God that we're created in. When we neglect that, when we choose other, we feed the image of Adam. And the image of Adam is born out of death. The image of God is born in life. So when we feed the image of Adam in us, we are perpetuating our own death because with sin is death. And, and, and that's true in every arena of life. You feed the image of Adam in your finances, you're going to kill yourself financially and go into debt and never get out. You feed the image of Adam in your relationships, you're going to kill your relationships. From friendships to marriage. You feed the image of God in your finances, you feed the image of God in your marriage, you feed the image of God in your relationships, you feed the image of God in your... You're going to life, 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 life. Okay, so as I, as I look through, as I look through um, Genesis 5, it's so much more than just a lineage. There's great truth in this. Now, it is a lineage, and there's great truth in the lineage as well. So, 
So there's there's this man, Adam, and so if you've heard me teach this before, it's just recap for you. If you've not heard me teach this, then I encourage you to take some notes. Most of the time, the vast majority of time, names in the Bible are attached to, to, to characteristics or prophecies or statements of who that person is or what that person represents. Okay? So Joshua, Yeshua. Joshua in the Old Testament, he was the liberator and the savior of the people. He took over after Moses. His, that's what his name means, and that's what he was. And that's, what, that was, that's actually the name of Jesus in, in Greek. Because is, is he's the savior. He's the, he's the liberator. Um, and, and they all have meanings. And so, so Adam's name means man, Adam. So just, just keep that in mind. And he had a son named Seth. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived 912 years, and then he died. Seth, the, the, the definition of the name Seth means appointed. Okay? Man appointed. Uh, when Enosh, Seth's son, uh, had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. And after he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived 905 years, and then he died. Enosh, if you translate that, it means mortal. Okay. Uh, when Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. And after he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters altogether. Kenan lived 910 years and then he died. The name Kenan means sorrow. That is a terrible name to name your son. You're just a sad boy. <laughs> Uh, when Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. And after he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived 895 years and then he died. Mahalalel means the blessed God. Okay, the blessed God. Uh, when Jared had lived uh, 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived 962 years and then he died. Jared means um, uh, shall come down or shall, shall appear, shall come down. Okay? Weird names, I know. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was no more because God took him away. The name Enoch means teaching. And this is interesting because Enoch was a teacher. And the first prophecy of the second coming of Jesus was a prophecy of Enoch that he taught that's recorded for us in the book of Jude. And we'll look at that in a minute. The interesting thing about Enoch is he walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. That little phrase in there that he walked with God 300 years and, and, and 365 years total, there's an indication there that before he had his son, okay, Enoch lived 65 years of being with the father of Methuselah. Before he had Methuselah, he was not walking with God for 65 years. And then after he had Methuselah, then he walked with God. And it's so interesting and it's so true. We see it all the time. Adults come to church and seek God after they've had what? Children. It, it, it happened way back in the very first beginnings of time. 
and it's exactly what Enoch did. Then he became a teacher, gave us the first prophecy of the second coming, recorded for us in June, and we'll look at it in that in a minute. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. And after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived 969 years, and then he died. Methuselah means his death shall bring. Okay? His death shall bring. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son and named him Noah and said, He will comfort us uh, in the labor of painful toil, uh, in, in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord uh, has cursed. After Noah was born, oh, wait, 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 Lamech first, let me do that. So Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son named Noah. Lamech's name means the despairing or those who are in despair. Okay, have a son named Noah. Noah was born. Uh, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters all together. Lamech lived 777 years and then he died. Noah's name means rest or comfort. And that's what his father prophesied over him. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So in this, in this lineage, there are two prophecies of the second coming of Jesus. The first one is from the man Enoch. And if you go to Jude 14 and 15, Jude is one chapter long, so it's not Jude chapter anything. It's just Jude and then the number. First, second, third, John and Jude. Jude 14 and 15 say this. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. This is the prophecy. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done uh, in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so that's the first prophecy of the second coming. That, that the Lord is coming with thousands of thousands of his holy ones to judge. And so way back the seventh from Adam, Enoch walks with God because he's had this son. He comes to faith in this God and, and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit has this profound prophecy of the Lord coming with thousands and thousands to judge the second coming. And so that's why his name is teacher. He was the first teacher of the second coming. So that's, that, that's, one, that's one of the of the, of the prophecies of the second coming uh, in, in chapter 5, or of, of, of the appearance of Jesus in chapter 5. It's about the second coming. But there's another prophecy of Jesus that isn't as easily seen. The reason I told you the names of all those men is because these are the ones that God chose to put in the lineage of Scripture um, and that lineage runs through Seth, not through Cain, not through Abel. And we're told these names for a reason. Adam, man, Seth, appointed, Enosh, mortal, Kenan, sorrow, Mahalalel, the blessed God, Jared shall come down, Enoch, teaching, Methuselah, his death shall bring, Lamech, the despairing, Noah, comfort. You put those together, and this is what it says. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down. 
teaching that his death shall bring the despairing comfort. It's a prophecy about Jesus. See that? Stuff in here isn't by accident. And the interesting thing is that Methuselah's name means his death shall bring. Guess when the flood started? When Methuselah died. The year Methuselah died, the flood started. His death shall bring. Not only is it a prophecy about the coming of Christ, it's a prophecy about the judgment of God. If you look at the numbers here, Methuselah lived 187 years and had a son named Lamech. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son named Noah. The Bible says Noah was 600 years old when the flood came. If Methuselah was 187 years old when he had Lamech, and Lamech was 182 when he had Noah, Noah was 600 years before the flood came, 187 plus 182 plus 600 equals 969, which is exactly how old Methuselah was, which is exactly when the flood came. His death shall bring. And it's interesting that Methuselah actually outlived his son Lamech. His son Lamech died five years before the flood came, before Methuselah died. Uh, But this is the prophecy of the coming of God and the judgment of God through the lineage of, of, of this godly line that led to Noah. So when Methuselah died, the flood came, and that's what gets us to chapter six. But from the beginning, God has been trying to get our attention. I I think I preached a message about that or a series about that uh, a while back. Like like he's he's always drawing people to himself. And and whether it's plain or it's a couple layers deep, the the message of God is, 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 is this whole thing is about me, God says. I'm going to come. I'm going to come back. The first time I'm going to give my life, the second time it's going to be judgment. Like, wake up and pay attention is what God's saying. And, and everything in this book we call Scripture is about that, is about his son. His son's first coming and his son's second coming. It was prophesied by Enoch, the very first seventh from Adam. It was prophesied in the lineage that we see here. And it was prophesied through the, through the coming of Methuselah and the de- his death shall bring judgment. And that gets us to chapter 6. Any, any questions, cries, or shouts of outrage so far through chapter 5? I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, and I spent half my time already. Okay? All right. If you want a list of those names, you know what they all mean because you weren't writing them down. I could just see me later or text me or something. I'll, I'll send them to you. Uh, Genesis 6. Let me read the first three verses. When men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them... The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. This is, this is setting the stage for the flood. Um, and this is refer- the flood is referenced, and it is affirmed throughout Scripture. Uh, all the way back in, in, in the New Testament, we get to 2 Peter uh, chapter 3. And if you go to 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3, 4, 5, 6 say this. 
First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Verse 4, they will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So, so, so he's saying, this is what scoffers are going to say. You say he's coming back, blah, blah, blah. How long has it been? He's still not here. Nothing changes. The world goes around. Sun rises, sun sets. Nothing is new under the sun. It's all the same old thing. There obviously isn't a God because where is he now? Right? Okay. Verse 5. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Verse 6, by these waters also the world at, of that time was deluged and, uh, deluged and destroyed. The flood. So they deliberately forget this stuff. Verse 7, by the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. He said, so... so don't don't be fooled like those who deliberately forget that the flood actually happened as a judgment of God, nor forget the fact that it will be destroyed again by fire by the because of the judgment of God. That's what, what Second Peter tells us, and, and so so we have to pay attention to the flood story because there are profound implications. For what God will do in another judgment. The flood, the, 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 the judgment of God came down as rain. There'll be another judgment where the fire of God will come down. Not as rain this time, but as fire. St. Peter's pretty clear about that. Uh, and so, and so we're, we're, we are wise to realize that the flood actually happened. And that... No, there's some say it was a localized flood, and there's there's, there's some evidence to that. There's 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 a greater, I think, um, emphasis should be put on a worldwide flood. And for instance, uh, we have um, great salt seas that are inland. There are inland salt seas in China. There are inland salt seas in India. And the Great Salt Lake and the Bonneville Salt Flats were at one time a salt sea. Giving credence to the idea that at one time waters covered and salt waters covered the entire planet. Um, the fossil record is interesting if you, if you, if you, if you want to consider the, the facts of a, of a worldwide flood. In Michigan... Uh, Archaeologists have found fossilized whales. If you don't know your geography, Michigan is not near an ocean. In Ohio, they found fossilized sharks. And again, if you're geography challenged, uh, they shouldn't be there. In Wyoming, they found fossilized fish 7,000 feet above sea level. Uh, and, and, and so there's great evidence of a worldwide flood. Uh, and the account of the flood isn't just a biblical account. 
Hundreds and hundreds of people groups have their own accounts and their own stories of the flood. Uh, the most remarkable of which is the Babylonian account, which is incredibly similar to Genesis. And the, the, story ha- the, the question has to be asked, how do so many different people groups all around the world have the same basic story about a flood? You know what the answer is? There was a flood, but if it wiped out all earth, how do they know? Well, I'll tell you how they know. Because Noah had three sons, and from those three sons, all people groups came. And so Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and we'll talk about them next week, told the story because they lived it. And as the people spread, and we'll talk about how quickly the people spread. As the people spread... They kept telling their story, and some of it got lost in translation, obviously. But that's but that's how every people group around the globe could have the 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 same basic story about this flood. And I'll tell you how similar it is. Whether you talk about the what's called the Samokubo troop of of New Guinea, or the Apaskakan Indians of America, and I wrote all these down so I wouldn't forget them all. The Papago Indians of Arizona, the Brazilian tribes, the Peruvian Indians, Afghan Hotentots, the natives of Greenland, the natives of Hawaiian Islanders, the Hindus, Chinese, Ephesians, or Egyptians, Greeks, Persians, Australian natives, the Welsh, Celts, Druids, Serbians, Lithuanians, and on and on and on, all have a story of a worldwide flood. And of, of uh, I think one figure I heard was 270 different cultures have their own account of a worldwide flood, and it is amazing how similar they all are. 88% of of, of all of these stories, 270 different cultures around the globe, 88% of those stories describe the flood involving a favored family. 70% of those stories attribute the survival of that family to a big boat. 95% of those stories say that the cause of this catastrophic event was an unnatural flood. 66% say that the disaster was due to man's wickedness. 67% of all these stories around the whole globe, every culture, 67% record that animals were also saved in the big boat with the favored family. And 57% describe that that the survivors ended up on a high mountain. And many of the accounts specifically mention birds that were sent out from the boat, a rainbow... And that there were eight people that were saved in the boat. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. And, and so this, all these cultures from around the globe, completely different, completely separate, have the same story about a same flood, and they were so remarkably similar. And the only explanation is either they all survived it, which... They say they didn't all survive because there were only eight that did. The only logical conclusion is that those eight told the story 
to everyone who came after them as long as they lived. And they, as they traveled around throughout the earth, they kept telling the story. So, so whether you look at geography, whether you look at the fossil record, or you look at, 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 at all these, these, these flood stories throughout eons and generations, it's because it's true. And it's only those who choose to ignore the fact it's only those who choose to ignore it are the only deniers of it. Of particular note for us is Matthew 24, 37. Jesus' words. And this is where we have to start paying attention. Other than saying, ha, the Bible's right because the flood really happened. This is why it's so important. Jesus says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. He says, so pay attention to the days of Noah. Because the Son of Man will come back when these days match those days. It really happened. You can't deny it. And when you see these days matching those days... Pay attention. And so we have to ask ourselves, what were the conditions of the world like in Noah's time? And what are the conditions of the world like at the time of Christ when he comes back? Or in our time? So let's just, let's look at chapter 6 and see what was it like. Verse 1. When men began to increase in number on the earth, Okay, so the first thing we see about about the pre-flood earth is that men were increasing in number. And when the Bible says they're increasing in number, it means like really, really, really rapidly increasing in number. Okay, so there there are four ways I'm going to draw similarities between today's day and Noah's day. One of them is this first one, this exploding population. Now, there's a really a book. I've not read it. I've just referenced it. Whitcomb and Morris wrote a book called The Genesis Flood. It's 500 plus pages long, and they deal with the Genesis Flood from a scientific and creationist view. And, and these brilliant men looked at the genealogy of the biblical record and the longevity of how long they lived. We just read all of that. Um, and extrapolated... Their average number of kids as best they could based on, you know, what we know about reproduction and whatnot. Uh, And they said that when couples are living anywhere from 600 to 900 years, you can make a lot of kids. And they have postulated that within 18 generations... There could have easily been 774 million people on the earth within 18 generations. 774 million people within 18 generations. Now, don't get confused. Genesis 5 gives us a few generations leading to Noah. But understand, if you got a, a, a husband and wife that are living six, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred years, they have a baby. While they're getting older, those babies have babies. 
those baby houses. You know how many, you know how quickly you get to 18 generations if you're living 900 years? Very quickly. And they postulate that by the time the flood and the best, it's just all guesses, but from creation to the flood, if you take those as, as little 20, literal 24 hour days from creation to the flood, you've got somewhere between 1600 years to 2300 years, somewhere. By the flood, by the time of the flood, there could have easily been one billion people on the planet. Given how long people were living and the, and the population and growth and all this stuff. One billion people by the time of the flood. So the flood happens, maybe a billion people, all but eight are dead. So there's only eight on the earth. After the flood, it took a long time to get back to a billion people. Do you know how long it took? Well, from the flood to Jesus, at the time of Jesus, there were about 250 million. That's a lot of people that was far short from a billion. Now, Richard's really good at math. You can probably tell us, you know, uh, the average growth rate per year for all that to get 250 million. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, and we, we, didn't, we didn't get to a billion people on the planet till the early 1800s. After the flood. So after the flood, um, for, between the flood to Jesus, there's somewhere between 2,400 and 2,600 years. And it took another 1,800 after that. Where previously it took maybe 1,600 to 2,300 years to get to a billion. Now it's taken about 4,000. In the early 1800s to get to a billion people. But, but, but notice what happened. So, so the early 1800s, we get to a billion people. By 1927, there were 2 billion. By 1960, there were 3 billion. By 1975, there were 4 billion. By 1988, there were 5 billion. By 1999, there's 6 billion. And now there's about 8 billion. Do you see the exponential increase? When men began to increase on the earth. The estimate is that by 2051, there'll be 11 billion people. How in the world is the world going to support all those people? And, and so what we see in the time of Noah was this exponential population growth. That within maybe 1600 years, there was a billion people. And after the flood, it took a very long time. But as of late, you go from 1 billion to 8 billion very quickly now. And so, and so we're seeing the same thing happen on the globe. As in the time of Noah, so it will be in the time of the Son of Man. Uh, the second thing that we see in the time of Noah that we see in our day, Genesis 6, 2, 3, 4. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. Any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. As in Noah's day, that we see in our day, there was a great sexual depravity. Um, before we talk about how bad 
people were, how bad things got in this whole sons of man and daughters, uh, sons of God and daughters of man. Let me address this. God says that I won't contend with them forever. Their days will be how many years? 120. That does not mean that um, the lifespan of man will be uh, limited to 120 years. It's not what that means. Because um, people lived a lot longer than that after God said that. Took a long time for our lifespan to get that low. When God said that, that started the clock ticking. And God told Noah to build a boat. Guess how long it took for Noah to build that boat? 120 years. And so God said, I will not contend with you forever. Your lives will not exceed 120 years. Why? Because after that time, the judgment is coming. I'm going to give you 120 years of grace. I'm going to give you 120 years to, to, to get right. And then the flood's going to come. That, that's what God, that, that's what that meant there. At, at, they will not, because after that, they still lived a long time. They lived, they lived hundreds of years after that. I mean, Noah himself. And, and, so, and so one of the, what God was saying is, look, I'm not going to put up with you people forever. I'm going to give you 120 years. You're on a clock right now. And after that 120 years, what happened? The flood. Now, we have to deal with this idea of the sons of God and the daughters of man. I mentioned two different times. Um, verse 1. Uh, the daughters, uh, daughters were born, this, uh, verse two, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Uh, and then verse four, the Nephilim were on the earth in that, those days, men around them, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. We do not know definitively who the scripture is talking about. There are three different possibilities. Um, and I'm just going to say what the three are and you can choose which you believe. I don't care what one of the three you choose to believe has nothing to do with your salvation, has nothing to do with my salvation, so I'm not going to argue with you about it. I'm just going to tell you what they are. Three views. One, that the sons of God are fallen angels and the daughters of man are human women. And that seems to be the, the majority of the historical understanding of that phrase. Jude will quote the book of Enoch. The book of Enoch is not a biblical book. It's a pseudopigraphal book, which means someone wrote it under someone else's name, pseudopigrapha. Jude will quote the book of Enoch, and the book of Enoch suggests that the sons of God were fallen angels. And so it seems to be that there was a lot of credibility given to that idea. The sons of God, fallen angels, demons, took human women and had these weird babies that way. Uh, the second view is sons of God, daughters of men. Sons of God, is, is, the second view is that, that the sons of God are the godly line of Seth. Marrying the ungodly line of the daughters of Cain. Okay, The sons of God, the godly line of Seth. Marrying the ungodly daughters that came from the line of Cain. That's the second view. The third view, sons of God, 
daughters of man, is a reference, the sons of God being evil earthly rulers, taking women just simply to increase their harems. There's extra biblical literature that talks about earthly evil rulers as the sons of God. Now, those are the three options. There's, there's, there's credibility to each one and there's difficulties with each one. And, and so we can't say definitively, and, and, and I would caution anyone who says this is definitive what that means, just be very careful because we don't know. And all three of those options have credibility and all three of them have liability. So let me tell you what those are. The validity of these, the, 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 of, of, of option one, fallen angels, demons, copulating with human women. Um, it, it has been the, the majority of the historical understanding that that's what it was. And Jude seems to give it credibility by quoting Enoch and all this stuff. The difficulty of that is Jesus says that in eternity, angels don't marry nor have relations with, with anything. And nor will we be given in marriage and have relations. Um, and there's, there's, there's no indications that angels have the ability to nor can procreate. It's not like God made a couple angels and then they just got busy through eternity and now there's all these angels. They're created beings. They didn't procreate, unlike humans. God made two and said, y'all take care of business, and they did. There's no indication that's that's the way spiritual beings work. So there's real problems with that. Um, The second view, the godly line of Seth and the ungodly line of Cain, that makes a lot of sense. It, It seems logical. The problem with it is that sons of God in Old Testament Hebrew is always used of spiritual beings. And so for it not to mean a spiritual being in this context would be out of, out of the norm. And the other issue, difficulty with it is, why would God destroy all the earth because people are unequally yoked? Now, it's not wise, and we learn in the New Testament, don't, don't you know, be unequally yoked with a believer than an unbeliever. But that was never a command of God, and certainly doesn't deserve destroying the entire earth because a godly line marries an ungodly line. So there's some problems with that. The other idea that rulers, the sons of God, is a reference to these evil rulers, and they're just getting all these women to build their harems. There's been a lot of, rulers, um, even biblically, that just got a bunch of women to build their harem, Solomon, not the least of which. 300 wives and 700 concubines. And none of those others did it ever uh, require a catastrophic judgment of God over everybody. So there's, like I said, we don't know. There's pros and cons to each one. You can decide what you want to believe about it, and, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Here's what matters. Whatever it was, there was sexual sin, and it was a sexuality that was against God's created order, and God judged for it. 
And when you put it in terms like that, it is eerily similar to this day. Right? The, the amount of sexual preoccupation, not just in our country, but in our world, is profound. And it's not like it's getting better. In both times, there was this abundance of a preoccupation with sex and not just man, woman, husband, wife sex. And when the Bible references these Nephilim were on the earth in those days, verse 4, and afterwards, the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them, the men of heroes of old, the men of round. When it says heroes of old, don't think it's good guys. Nephilim literally means the fallen ones. And whether they were fallen angelic beings or just corrupt sinful man, we don't know. It was just there was it was just bad. Okay, and it seems to be this is the line that Goliath and all those giants uh, came from. Um, we won't get into all of the references and ideas about that, but just understand there was there was great sexual perversion. Whether it's demonic and human or just human human, it was it was there was incredible sexual perversion and this incredible occupation with it. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of. So we see this rapid population growth that the world can't really handle. We see this overabundance of sexual perversion, uh, and then we see in verse five this. The constant evil in the heart of man. The Lord saw that how man's, uh, how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Um, I don't think we need to talk about a whole bunch about the the, the heart of humanity in the world today. Uh, we, we we could we could talk about it and say how bad it is over and over and over and just be saying the exact same thing. But at the end of the day, humanity in the days of Noah is completely self-absorbed, selfish mindset and worldview. Uh, And everything in their world was all about the individual and their own own gratification, just like today. Uh, And the fourth thing we see, if you jump way down to verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. Just like today. Some stats suggest there is one murder every 60 seconds every day of the year. Full of violence. The statistics tell us that there's anywhere from 1,400 to 1,700 murders per day on this planet. Um, The Americas, not just USA, America, but the Americas have the highest murder rate in the world per 100,000 people. 15 people per 100,000 are killed. Highest murder rate in the world. Second is Africa at 12.7 per 100,000. A proliferation of sexual depravity and violence. And many times those go hand in hand. Uh, back when people used to watch television and not just streaming services, there was an average of 15 violent acts per hour on the three major networks. 
The average American youth in watching television saw 20,000 violent acts on television before they turned 18 on, on just the three networks. And there, it, there, it is incalculable to try to surmise the amount of violence that young kids see every moment of every day on social media. And so what we see in the days of Noah, and we have to pay attention to this, this incredible exploding population growth of sexual depravity, every intent of the man is evil, and this proliferation of corruption and violence. That's what it was like in the days of Noah. And I would challenge anybody to tell me that that is not what it's like today. Right? And Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so will be in the days of the Son of Man. And so this is why we got to pay attention. Now let me go back to verse 6 and 7. The Lord was grieved that he had made on the man that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals uh, and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of, of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Now, we have to understand this, this word called anthropapathism. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an odd word. All, all it means is this, is that humans use uh, human emotions to describe God. So, so we, don't have any, we don't have any way to describe God and how God is feeling and what God is emoting except for our own emotions. And so sometimes the Bible uses those things like he's grieved and he's saddened and all that stuff. It doesn't necessarily mean that, that, that he regretted it and felt bad for what he had done. All it means is that God feels very, very, very deeply when his creatures go against his plans because he knows what it brings. It's not that God was hoping for something better and didn't get it and had to accept it. Um, it's not that, that, that creation and man was completely out of control and God couldn't do anything about it. It's not that God sat up in heaven and was removed and surprised like, what just happened? You started so good. It, it's, it's not that type of grief. It's not that type. It's not surprised that way. God knew that this was the path of sin and God knew what sin was going to lead to. He knew it from the beginning. And the text tells us that as God sees this unfold, it affects him. Because he knows what he created us for. And so he is grieved, not in like, but as the heart of a father says, I want so much better for you. Don't you see that? And when you choose to feed the image of Adam, it's going to kill you. And it just, that's the heart of the father. And I'm glad he feels that way because that means he's not unfeeling in the face of human sin and in my rebellion. He's sad because he wants something better for me. 
Uh, and, and then the, the one verse of hope, verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That word favor is the word grace. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here's what I love about that. My wife is an English teacher. And, and she will say, you never start a sentence with the word but. But. That's the perfect word to start this sentence. Because all this horrific reality of a billion people. But Noah found grace. I love the fact it says that he found. This is the first place grace is mentioned in all the Bible. Romans 5.20 is true. Where sin abound, grace abounds more. And I love the fact it says Noah found grace. Because it tells me he didn't earn it. He found it. It was granted. He didn't earn it because he was... He did something. Even his righteousness could not earn the grace of God. Though he was righteous, and we'll talk about that next week and what that means. Full of integrity, we'll get there. But he was, even with that, he found grace. It was gifted to him. Here's what I love about that. I am nowhere near the man of Adam, or of, of Noah. I am not blameless in all that I do. Um, and because Noah found grace, it gives me hope that I can find grace too. That I don't have to work to try to merit the favor of God. Because I already know on the front end that I cannot. Does that make sense? Let me finish with one more thing. This is the account of Noah, verse 9. Noah was righteous and blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We're going to talk about Shem, Ham, and Japheth next week. But let me just, let me just mention, almost in passing here, the fact that Noah was blameless. What it really means is that what you saw on the outside is what he was like on the inside. There was congruency there. There was no pretense. Um... And he was vastly different than those around him. What you saw is what you got with Noah. Uh, which I appreciate. There's just an authenticity. And it wasn't that he was so righteous that God had to bless him. He's, he, he, he was authentic. He was real. He was flawed. And we'll see that in the chapters that come. But he found the grace of God. And it reminds me of one of my favorite passages in Scripture, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. It doesn't say to strengthen those whose hands are blameless. It doesn't say to strengthen those who do it all right. It says to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. They might find grace. The favor and blessing of God. King David. Dirty hands. Dirty life. But the Bible says his heart was fully God's. 
And he was a man after God's heart. And he found, though he didn't deserve, the grace of God. And that is the rule of God throughout Scripture. That we might find the grace of God. Not because we deserve it, but because he is that gracious. So, may we be as Noah, upright as we can be, and reliant on the gift of God's grace in the midst of our humanity, yeah? So, chapter 5 and the first part of chapter 6. We'll get into the rest of 6 and hopefully 7 next week, okay? Any... uh,